Bowie Jane here with Jess Bowen on Babes Behind the Beats. And I'm very excited today because we have a good friend of mine, Erin. It's her mate, Mona Tavacoli, who is a Los Angeles-based drummer, singer, and performer. She's a legend in the scene, has done some amazing things, and we can't wait to have her on the show because she's worked heaps with Jason Mraz, done the David Letterman show, Ellen, toured the world. She's also one of the co-founders and co-directors of Rock and Roll Camp for Girls Los Angeles. So welcome to the show, Mona Tavacoli. Yeah! Yeah, it's me! (laughs) Now, Mona, you are one of my really good mates' friends, Erin. Erin, who I met in Mammoth and have played in bands with her and all sorts of things. So, yeah, pretty small world, that old LA in the end, isn't it? Amazing. Shout out to Erin P for putting this together today. Yeah, we love you, Erin. And speaking of small worlds, I've just known of you for so long because of being also a drummer in the industry. And it is kind of rare. I mean, I don't know about these days anymore, but it, it has been rare when I was growing up to find other female drummers or percussionists. You were always someone that I looked up to. And I always knew in this industry because you've been playing with some artists that I love, like Jason Mraz and like Sarah Bareilles and even your own band, Raining Jane. It's such an honor to have you and to have another female drummer and percussionist on the show. Oh, my gosh. Jess, I'm so touched by that and mutual respect to you. I think you're an incredible drummer and you're doing great work in the world. So thank you for having me. No, thank you. And speaking of some of female drummers, I don't know about you. I've been doing the Hit Like a Girl competition. I've been a judge for the last, I mean, whenever it started, I think it was 2012. And you've been judging that as well, right? Yes. Yes. That's uh, something else we have in common. That's been really fun. And they actually, they started doing like hand drumming competition as well that I started oh. judging. And then I hosted the awards show a couple of times. Which oh my God. Was, which years did you do that? Let me review my day planner and I'll get back okay. to <laughs> yeah, I know. The, how on earth do I you know, know the years now you probably are like, I don't remember what year. I don't even know what year it is right now, to be honest with you. So it's oh, like... Right? Doesn't time... Time doesn't exist anymore. So it no. doesn't. It really doesn't. But it happened previous to this moment with you. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. It happened some other time that wasn't right now. <laughs> Did you host the award thing too? I was like a guest host, I want to say 2015, maybe. I that. Yeah. And it was the, you know, I think Mindy Abovitz was, is, am I saying her last name right? Mindy from TomTom Tom Magazine. Yeah, Mindy's the bomb. Yeah. yeah, she's amazing. She was there that year as well. And then like Chad Smith was another one of the guests. Oh, hell hosts. yeah. Yeah. Oh, that was so cool. I was like, oh my God, Chad Smith is here. And I just stood next to him and like could barely talk because I was just like starstruck, you know? Yes, yes, I get it. Oh, that's amazing. I can't believe our paths haven't crossed. Yeah. I know know, until now. It's so funny that it it crosses now. And it wasn't even through me. It was through Bowie's friend, your guys' mutual friend. I'm like, I've got a drummer for you. (laughs) I love that. Uh, For us non-drummers like myself, can you explain what kind of drums you play? Because I know you play a bit of a variety. Yeah. I don't even know if that's the right way to ask the question, being a non-drummer. <laughs> no, I love it. You can't ask just like, what do you hit? Thing yeah. <laughs> what do you enjoy slapping with your own hands? <laughs> well, I started on the kit when I was 11. What I really focus on now is cajon, which is a Cuban Peruvian a drum, hand drum. It's a box. So you, you've probably seen it. And then you sit on it. That's what I slap with my own hands. 
That the is bar. the technical term. And you yes. enjoy that more? Why have you gone down that angle more? Or it's just you prefer that kind of, where that would fit in what style of music? Or I love the drum set. Like I love it. That's where I started. And then I went to UCLA. And actually high school and college, I was in the marching band. And then while I was at UCLA, I took a flamenco dance class. And in the flamenco dance classes where I discovered the cajon in 1999, I started accompanying the dancers. And oh. so through that, I was learning like all the flamenco rhythms. I've never seen one before. I thought, you know, what is this thing? But it was such a natural connection for me because I loved to dance. I loved the rhythms of flamenco, bulerias, alegrias. And then I was able to translate it into my hands. And there was like a different connection. All of a sudden I was dancing on the hand drum, on the cajon. There was just a lot of electricity for me there. There was girls that were starting a band at UCLA, which was originally called Chrysalis before it became Raining Jane. And those women saw me play the cajon at a flamenco end of the quarter dance recital, you know, <laughs> where like your buddies come and cheer you on. Yeah. And so they were looking for me like on campus or like, hey, there's this girl, she plays that box drum, but we need a drummer. Does she play kit? And so they ended up finding me in the dorms, came to my door and they're like, uh, hi, are you the chick on the box? And I'm like, <laughs> I sure am. I sure am. And they, uh, they said, do you also play kit? I said, yeah. And actually I have a kit at home. I didn't bring it to the dorms. So, <laughs> Jess, are you familiar with a Pearl Export kit? Of course. I f- <gasps> I'm very familiar. Yes. So that was like my first kit. My parents bought me when I was 13. Yes. And I still had it and I loved it. And so I brought it. I like drove home to San Jose, California from LA. And what's a Pearl Export for Asnon drummers? <laughs> I would describe it just, you tell me if I'm on the right track, but I would describe it like as a total beginner's kit. Right? I was going to say, it's kind of like the go-to if you're like a drummer that wants to get into it. It's a good entry-level kit. Okay. I would say. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's not a like a total starter kit. You really want to play yes. and you're going to make an investment, but it's not like a DW Exotic Woods. Yeah, but right. still, when you're that age, all your friends are super impressed that you have it and it yes. looks really cool. Yeah. <laughs> and I was begging my dad to get like the Ferrari red. <laughs> the red, like the bright red, right? Dude, it was like cherry, delicious, amazing yes. red. Oh, and yeah. my dad was like, you know, Mona, my parents are Iranian, you know, we have looked into reselling and I'm like, <laughs> okay. And they're like, reselling, nobody likes to buy red. <laughs> oh, okay. He thought I was going to quit. He thought oh. I'd buy the kit. I would never play it and they'd have to resell it. So he convinced me that the black Pearl Export had a higher resale value. And so we got the black Pearl Export, which I still have today. And you still have it? We use it at Rock Rock and Roll Camp for Girls LA. That's great. That's amazing. Full circle, baby. Full circle. Full circle for sure. I love that. I love that your dad was thinking about the resale value, not like, let's get you a good, like, okay, what am I going to get that's going to sell after you stop playing? My dad forever. My parents were like, this is just a hobby. Please do not pursue this. Don't bring shame upon the family. And then I, I kept doing it. And then once I took the kid to LA, they're like, oh, oh, oh no. 
Uh, so, you, so you brought it to LA and then you then you started with this band on that kid. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. Wow. So I lived in the dorms and then I also was an RA resident assistant. You're a peer and you get hired to basically be like a resource, a peer resource on the floor of students. So we had at UCLA, you know, we had a lot of students live on campus. So at that time I had like 80 residents, sort of like they're just pe- not mentor, but like resource. Resource is a perfect word. Yeah. So like if they needed like health stuff, or they needed to know where to go get blank or whatever. So it's basically like I'm sharing with you that I'm dedicated to being a nerd. For a <laughs> but wait, can I also say, doesn't an RA, I'm a college dropout, mind you, so I only have one semester, like knowing of this, in my experience with the RA, and this is going to make me sound like I got in so much trouble, they can yeah. get you in trouble, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've just let me know that you are much cooler than me. No, <laughs> no, no, it's fine. It's fine. Mind you, I was in the marching band dorm in oh, college. Where did oh, you I went to U of A, University of Arizona. But here's the thing, because I was a drummer, you know, when they want to put you in a place, I had obviously put that I had done marching band in high school, but I'd only done it one year. And then I put like that I was into music because that was like my biggest passion. Yeah. So then they just automatically assumed we're going to put you with all the marching band students. <laughs> All my, my, I had two other roommates and they were all in the marching band. And then I would get in trouble because I guess I didn't have the marching band to keep me occupied. So I was doing whatever everyone else was doing. Yes, so edgy. Like you were nerd adjacent, but you were I never was. a nerd. You were I, was, I was very nerd adjacent. That is a great way to put it. And I'd be honored to say that because I'm still like, I have that running in my blood for sure. <laughs> That is so good. And then she was like, see ya. I got signed to a label. Bye. Yeah. And then we got signed when that's the reason I dropped out. I got signed at 18 when I was in college. So then I was oh like, thought I was this big rock star. I was like, peace out, everyone. And like, oh, yeah. out. I could have finished my full year if I would have just done like two more months of college. But I was like, fuck that. I'm going to be a rock star. And dropped out. To be 18 and have somebody validate all the things you were already feeling in your body. Like, how yeah. cool. It's incredible at 18. Incredible. Incredible. I was in the marching band and I was organizing um, cheese club nights at my house. So, oh, what? so we're just a little bit different. But the- <laughs> just a little bit. I mean, I love cheese. So now I'm like, I need to hear about this story. After- and now we're all into the cheese club. Yeah. I well, I can easily tell you a quick cheese story. Um, in high school, me and my nerdy friends, we decided we were going to start a cheese club and we would bring our favorite cheese to one friend's house and we would watch cheesy videos. Like I'd bring over like the new kids on the block live concert or whatever. We'd watch that. And then our goal of the club was to like enjoy cheese and do cheesy things. And then we would come up with cheese names for each other. So let me wow you with my cheese name. Maybe it will inspire you to come up with your own cheese name. All right, let's, let's hear it. My cheese name is Mona Ture Jack. Ooh. (laughs) Delicious. Delicious, right? Mona and then Ture is your is the middle name. Mona Ture Jack Cheese. It's all Gouda. You can do whatever (laughs) name. (laughs) Oh my god, the cheese puns here. Ever on a music podcast talked about cheese before? (laughs) Hey, I hope people enjoy that we're talking about cheese on a music podcast. I love it. It's a real true background of someone, like not the, you know, generic stuff. <laughs> this is I'm extremely behind the beat. Very, very extremely behind the beat. <laughs> Actually, what, what were you studying at uni though, at university? Well, I was an economics and communications double major. Oh, wow. I thought I was going to go into like consulting, which I didn't know what that meant, but I, I thought I had a lot of opinions. So I thought I was going to give people my opinions about business. So Mona, 
you were studying economics and you wanted to be like a consultant. Obviously, you started drums at a young age and that was your passion, though. Was it like a cultural thing that you felt like you had to be studying something like economics instead of following your passion? Like I was assuming you maybe had studied music in college. Would you have done that? And did you feel pressured to do something else? Or what do you think? That's very insightful of you. Yes. Culturally, being a professional musician was not really an option, at least for my family. And there's a lot of like master's in business degrees in my family. I actually love economics. I love economic perspective. And so for me, that felt like, oh yeah, I'm actually interested in like urban economics, macroeconomics. There's a lot of accountants in my family too. So I was drawn to that, but the arts is really where my heart lies. And so I was always looking for opportunities to be an expression of something. And so drums, of course, is like the the center, the heartbeat of all of that art. And so I think any opportunity I had to play the drums, like, you know, when those two girls came to my door and said, do you play kid? I was like, yeah, beep, beep, went home and got my kid. You know, (laughs) I just, I needed any opportunity there was. The flamenco story, really, I hurt my knee. I have have an old basketball injury, which is a story for another day, my friends. But you know, I, as soon as I wasn't able to like stomp and do the flamenco moves as much as I wanted to, I asked the professor, like, can I play percussion or can I do something rhythmic for the class? And so that's, she brought me the cajon. And so that was another opportunity. So th- it was like any time a door would open a, for music or that kind of like artistic sharing, I would always just like, it was undeniable for me, yeah. that route. So I'm so glad I studied economics and communications. I love all that reference. I have right. for the way that the world works and all the books I got to read and all of that. This might be an absolute no, but your family's obviously into numbers and finance and business. Do you think that side of the brain is what draws you to drumming or is it just completely separate? That's a great question. I've always been really good at math too. So I think drummers are so, they are mathematical, right, Jess? Yeah. Like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. I think it was the expression. When I was a younger kid and I would watch the sixth grade band and I would, my eyes would always go to the drummers. I just loved what that expression was. I loved yeah. what that dance looked like. I loved what it was doing to the rest of the musicians. Like You're kind of drawn to what you're drawn to, right? Like I know I'm the same way, Mona. Like I really watch the drummers. I'm sure you probably still do, right? If you, I mean, granted there hasn't been concerts in a year, but when you go to shows or watch <laughs> them on TV, you watch the drummer, right? And listen for it. Totally. And actually, I'm sure you can relate to this too. It's like, I'm looking at gear and I'm looking yes. at placement and I'm looking at choice voices and tone and heads. And like, that feels like next level, not to be judgmental, but to celebrate like what, what is happening there and why does yes. it, and what's the mic to notice the thing that you're drawn to, to notice the thing and have awareness and then actually act on it. Those are kind of two different things, right? Quick question. You were looking at drummers on stage. Did you think I want to be on stage or you just love the drums? You don't care how you're playing them in a studio or on stage. Like for me, I prefer to be on stage. I'm really not interested in the studio aspect. That is also like a good clarification, I think, especially this year. I've been confronted with like, am I a studio cat? Like, you know, <laughs> because I, I live for live. I yes. live. Is that L-I-V-E for L-I-V-E? Yeah. Like, I live for live. That's 
just needed to clarify for my own brain. I love live. I love the energy shared with others. I love the energy shared with people that want to be witnessing music. I mean, it's just all of it. And the collaboration with the sound guys and the lighting guys and the, you know, all of it. The whole experience to me is so visceral and palpable and I love it. In studio, what has happened to me over the years is that muscle has been really nurtured because, Mm. especially because of my work with Jason Mraz and Raining Jane, because we've spent time just cutting demos over and over until, you know, writing songs and cutting demos and writing songs and cutting demos until you get to the, the tracks for the record. And then you just go in and you have a new experience with that same material. You know, I play in an Iranian band with a man named Ebi, who is like a legend of Iranian music. And that band uses click. So we're all on ears and we're using click. And so that's been... Have you not used click with the other artists that you've played with? Like Jason Mraz and, and the Sarah no. Brothers and Raining Jane? Yeah, not really. Oh, and oh you really? don't like click either, do you, Jess? Is that no, you? No, no, I'm, that like, I'm the you opposite. Love I'm like, oh. I can't play without click. I'm actually... <laughs> it was ingrained in me. I oh, feel like, I'm like oh, I need this click. But so, so that's interesting. So you prefer not to play with click? No, I, I actually, I now, I kind of love it, you know? Yeah. Before, I always just felt like, because a lot of the music I was playing was like, singer-songwriter, acoustic singer-songwriter. And I always feel like, let the song be in this moment. And so maybe the song in this room is going to feel like a little bit lazier today. Or I don't know. I feel like that felt so important to the expression of lyrics, right? Like acoustic singer-songwriter. And I was getting so much work because of the cajon and I could sing backups. So I was getting a lot of work in that way where it was just like, be in a room, be in the moment. So I wasn't working that click muscle. Yeah. Um, And for those who may not know, um, for the non-musos out there, the click track is something that the drummer will hear in their ear and it'll be going... that's the right expression, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> or like um, really loud, like cowbell. Yeah, so that they can stay in time with the band. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you, you've got a lot of elements with the band and you can't quite hear. You just want to make sure it's tight or maybe not if it's acoustic. Right. So in this case, you know, in the studio, you will 98% of the time have a click track, except for some of those rare live or the band is just playing live. But man, my last tour, it was all click. And I was like, dang, this is so, this is like being in a hot tub. I'm just like relaxing. <laughs> And I know someone's there to catch me, and it's called Mr. Click. And it's just- <laughs> Mr. Click. Yeah. Oh, that's so true, isn't and, it? And that was when you were also playing Cajon, or was this with the kit that you were playing? Yeah, both. Oh, both. Yeah. This artist. Okay. So you've done heaps and heaps of work with Jason Mraz. Well, how did you meet him? How did that all happen? So, Raining Jane was doing like our national college tours 2004 to like 2008 and we bought a van and we we were booking our own shows and we were having great success just like sort of doing laps around the country and in 2006 we got an opportunity to open for Jason at a college in California. And we were the first of four artists. So Jess, you know, like on those festivals where you're like at 3 p.m. or whatever? Yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You know? And like you're on a bill with somebody you like love and admire. And you're like, well, I'm never going to see them, right? Right. Of course. Yeah. Because they're not going to be there until like the minute before they have to go on stage. Yeah. And it's like the time between when you're playing and they're playing. You're like, there's no way. that Absolutely. Yeah. You might walk by their dressing room and see their name on the door and be like, oh, cute. I'll take a selfie. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I've done that so many times. <laughs> My friend, we're living parallel lives. Yes. <laughs> so, so essentially we, we had a 30 minute opening set and 
And, you know, we all kind of like had to talk ourselves down because we all admire Jason. We love his songwriting. You know, at that time, it was his first single, Remedy. I Won't Worry oh. My Life Away, that song. Yeah. Um, I'm Yours hadn't come out yet. And so... Oh, this is before that. Okay. Yeah. This is like wordplay. This is his second record kind of time. And so we were like, yeah, okay, we're probably not going to meet him. It's not a big deal, but it's really cool. We're on the same bill, you know? We're like on stage and we're playing our little 30-minute set and everybody in the band switches instruments. Like I go from kit to cajon in the front of the stage. Our bass player plays sitar. Like one of our lead vocalists plays guitar and cello and our other lead singer like plays ukulele, mandolin, we're sitting there and like during the set, I look to the side of the stage and Jason's watching us. Oh, and I'm just like, got so nervous and like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, he's watching us. You know, <laughs> it's so funny to say the story now because we're so close and I love him so much. He's such a big part of my life now. But at that time, you know, it's like somebody you admire and love. And it's like, I can't believe this person is witnessing me doing the thing that I love. So we get off the stage and he like kind of stops Becky, the sitar player. and was like, whoa, I love the sitar. That was so cool. And hey, we should talk and blah, blah, blah. And we're all like, okay, bye. So at that point, two of us from the band would go sell merch and two of us would like pack up the stage because it was just us. And so Becky ended up talking to Jay for a while and Mai and I went to go sell the merch. And then after the show, we waited to like take a photo together. And he was like, I think you guys, I think we should, you should be my band. Oh, what? Right? Can you imagine like dream oh. scenario? Seriously. Like news pimples on your I did. I did. Absolutely. Oh my God. I can't believe it. This is like a dream come true. It was a dream come true. He was like, you guys should be my band. And, and at the very least, let's write a song together. And we were all like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> like all of that. All of it. Yes. And we have a picture from that night and it's hilarious because we all look like we're out of our minds. Like, is this really happening? <laughs> and Jason was like, hey, um, I'm going to go on a trip. And when I'm back, we should get together. And it was like, fine. Anyway, long story short. We went to his house a couple months later, January, yeah, 2007, and we wrote some songs. And then 2008 is when I'm Yours came out. Oh, oh my God. God. On that record, we had a track. One of the songs we wrote in 2007 made it onto that record. <gasps> oh my God. That's huge. It was huge, dude. It was so huge. <sighs> Right. And so he was then gone for two years. He left and he was like on his world tour because then I'm yours just kept blowing up all over the world. So he was gone and we kept in touch via email. And the song that we wrote with him was called A Beautiful Mess. And that was like the final track of the record. And it was such a big deal for us. We couldn't believe it. And we were like, we love you. Good luck. Go ahead. It was like, you know, cheering him on. And when he came back, we would do these things called like Ladies Weekend. <laughs> <laughs> we would like camp out at his house for the weekend and we would write. Oh my God, that's so cool. There was no goal in mind. We just enjoyed each other's musical contributions and each other's personalities. We just started this like collection of tunes. And then in 2010, 11, he started kind of pulling me to do some duo stuff. And so that was really, really exciting for me. And that was like mostly cajon and vocal stuff. And then in 2012, I did a bunch of promotional stuff with him when the song I Won't Give Up came out. And then we went on a big world tour because that song did really well. And then, but we kept writing. Raining Jane and Jason kept writing. And then by 2013, he was going to go back and do a record for Atlantic. 
And part of what happens is you send a lot of tracks to your people at the label, right? Which you know, Jess. Yeah, yeah. And we sent like 50 songs. We, he sent like 50 songs. And he was saying a lot of the feedback I'm getting of the best songs are ones that we've written. Oh, you're joking. It was like, wait, what? And he's like, they're proposing we do a Jason and Jane record. Oh, And we were like, okay, that's cool. (laughs) Oh my God, I've been waiting my pants. Yeah, it was like incredible. So in 2014, we toured around the world. We did an international tour promoting an album we wrote together called Yes. And that is all songs that Jason and Jane wrote. Jason's most sonically acoustic record. He's known as a pop artist, but this had a lot of like Americana influences. And of course, we're playing acoustic instruments. There wasn't a lot of programming and it was produced by Mike Mogus. He's an incredible musician, producer, guy. And so we got to go to Nebraska where he's from and we spent two weeks and we recorded at his home studio. Oh my God, like in Omaha or something? Exactly. Yes. Oh, I've really had an experience where I'm writing without a purpose, as in we need to get a song done. It needs to be about this. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine what it's like to just write with fun people and you're just having a beverage kind of thing around the fire. Totally. Right. Like that. That's what I think with no pressure, right? Yeah, yeah no pressure. Yeah. We were able to develop our trust in each other. It's like you're free because now there's no, there's no witness. There's no big brother saying, well, that's not right. Until we got to the label part, which was like, oh, so you, you don't love everything I do? Question mark? (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Excuse you? (laughs) So the relationship has continued and we've had songs on every record since. We just put out an album this summer called Look for the Good. And we're on like four or five of the tracks. We're the background vocalists on the whole record. I did some percussion on the record. And uh, we were supposed to be on tour right now. We all were supposed to be on tour. I know. But the music is so good. It's so positive and... It's Jason Mraz through and through, you know? Amazing. So, Mona, I believe you also have started, and correct me if I'm wrong, is this also with your Raining Jane bandmates? You guys started like a a girl rock LA camp? Yes, yes. It's called the Rock and Roll Camp for Girls Los Angeles. And we are actually heading into our 12th year of summer camp. Wow. And were you guys able to do that this past year then as well, like during COVID times? You know, we had to totally pivot and we figured out a way to do it on Zoom. Mm. We did virtual camp this last summer. Wow. And I actually, before speaking to you today, I was on a, a Zoom call with some of the organizers and we were just starting to brainstorm what this summer could look like. We know that we want to create this container for our community to, to feel seen and heard and loved. And so we're going to do something for sure. We just have to figure out what are the actual needs of our campers and what are the needs of our volunteers and how can we serve in a way that feels like um, good and productive and helpful. And so we're in the brainstorm right now of like, what would be a bomb way to like present camp this summer that maybe will look different than last summer, even though it might, it, it will be virtual again. Oh, yeah. And so this camp, just for those who might not know, is um, a camp for young girls who maybe want to get into music or are they already into music? What's the summary of the camp, I guess? Yeah, I'll give you the mission statement, Bowie. Are you ready? Yeah, that's what I want. Okay. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's what I want. Rock and Roll Camp for Girls Los Angeles is a social justice organization dedicated to empowering girls through music. And actually, it's a space for all non-gender conforming youth. And anybody who wants to be in this space, we welcome to be in this space. It's really about process, not mastery. So the idea is you don't have to have any musical ability. But if you want to learn how to play guitar, bass, sing, keyboards, drums, you come to camp, you'll take instruments instruction. We'll put you in a band with kids around your age. And and then interspersed will be like workshops on communication, self-expression, so many cool workshops. I'm just trying to think of like some names of workshops. Like we did a workshop on protest songs last uh, summer songwriting. And so who takes the workshops? All the campers. And then we have beautiful community of volunteers that comes back every year. Oh yeah, that's what I wanted. The volunteers is what I meant. Yeah, it's so cool. If you want to meet like-hearted, open, loving beings, you come to Rock Camp because everybody that comes, they donate their time to hold this container, to hold this space for these girls and these, these kids to express themselves. Because there's no mastery involved, there isn't a checklist of like, you have to be, you know, college educated and gone to music school and know these chords. It's just like, do you want to hold space for girls to feel good about themselves. We want you here. That's That's awesome. So imagine, right? Imagine what kind of people show up. (laughs) It's so wonderful. And have you seen people, like kids maybe who had no musical family or musical instruction and they turn up, they were a blank canvas who have then gone on to pursue music? Yes. Now that we're like almost in our 12th year, some of our campers are now volunteering with us. It's so cool. And then it also reminds you how old you are. Yeah. (laughs) But that's awesome that they've stayed in. It was obviously a really important part of their growing up. Well, yeah, you hope so. You hope that you're doing something at camp to create a positive feeling in somebody and that whether or not they go on to pursue music, that's not the goal. It's about them feeling great about themselves and confident and wanting to go off and pursue whatever their heart desires, right? Like we were talking about earlier, can you identify the thing you're interested in and that you're drawn to and that you have heat with? And then can you also make that your goal in life? Can you identify it and then pursue it? Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. And so, so for these girls, you're kind of creating a safe space for them to even just learn and create and express themselves, which is very important because I think just from my own personal experience, from meeting when I was on tour, just some of the people that would come to the show, some of the the girls would they'd want to get into, for instance, drumming or they'd want to get into doing sound or something, but they didn't feel like there was a safe space for them to learn, and especially for something that might be like for us teaching drums, like, but it was a male dominated industry. And so girls didn't feel comfortable necessarily like having maybe a male instructor. And I grew up even the same way. I had a guy at first as a teacher and I just didn't feel like I had a connection with him or he really understood me or anything like that. So I feel like it's so great what you're doing because girls can just feel safe coming to you and being able to learn what they want to learn and express themselves however they want to express themselves. Jess, thank you so much. Thank you for saying that. And I really, I don't know. I feel like maybe you'll come volunteer at Rock. <laughs> oh, yes, it sounded like I could fit in a little little bit, maybe. I mean, 100%. And actually, Bowie, you're a producer and a DJ, right? Yeah, that's right. DJ singer songwriter. I mean, that's amazing, right? And what's cool is you already have musical skills, but to anybody listening that doesn't have technical mastery over an instrument, you can come and still volunteer and be a role model for these girls for the week. Yeah, that's right. It's a really incredible experience because we do training, we do volunteer training, and we talk about what are ways 
that we can show up and do this work together shoulder to shoulder with other like-minded people. So yeah. it's, there's a lot of growth that can happen and, and you don't have to, you don't even have to play music. Also DJing is so male. When I first got into it, there were no courses, nothing. So you got to just teach yourself. It's ridiculous. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, there's so many cool programs coming out now, like women's audio mission. There's all these like technical programs now. And last summer we actually ha- held during our virtual camp, we had a recording workshop and oh, cool. cool. Yeah, it was so cool. We're just really open-minded about what is the thing that we can offer that will be beneficial official to our community for them to learn and be with us. One of our guests was Amanda Davis. I think she's involved in Women's Audio Mission um, oh, and she's cool. Janelle Monet's audio engineer. So, Oh, hell yeah. That's great. Yeah. yeah. Well, I love what you guys are all about. Again, it sounds like I might have to come and talk to you after this and see yeah, if I can yeah. be a volunteer. <laughs> Holy cow, that'd be so cool. That would be, be super rad. I've been wanting to get to this part because I think it was recently that it was maybe aired. Yeah. You performed on Sesame Street. Yes. <laughs> sure did. With one of my favorite artists, Sarah Bareilles. So can you actually first, before getting into, I guess, the Sesame Street performance itself, you play with her on and off. I think you guys are probably good friends at this point. Can you just tell me a little bit about how you guys met and, and your experience with playing with her and how you met her? Jess, do you just want me to talk about Sarah for a little bit? Without- <laughs> this is, we're going to cut everything else out and <laughs> all this interview is going to be is starting from now until you stop talking about Sarah Bareilles. That's what's going to be aired. I'm so delighted to tell you about Sarah Bareilles because she is a gift. She's a gift of a person. All the feelings of of love and admiration that you have for her are so well-deserved because she's an incredible human from the inside out. Really, truly, she is exactly who you think she is. She, We actually met at UCLA. Oh, okay. Raining Jane and Sarah, we all were kind of in the same music scene. And then... We became neighbors in Santa Monica. Oh, wow. Became really good friends. And then I, yeah, I became her drummer for a while until Raining Jane started touring, doing that national college tour that I had talked about earlier. Right, right. But we were always dear friends. I mean, we're, she's one of my best friends. I mean, I don't want to give you her phone number right now. Yeah. Over, over I was like, podcast. so give me the digit. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, so we've played on, off and on since gosh, long time ago. When she sort of blew up, she was so generous and took Raining Jane on our first tour like that. Oh, wow. Opening for an artist. And so... Which tour was that? That was... Well, her first major tour was called... Oh, like her first one. Her first headlining tour, which was just two weeks. And we called it the two-week tour. Oh, (laughs) The two W-E-A-K tour. That's um, genius. Off and on throughout the years, we would we would end up getting the opportunity to open for her. And then I would, once in a while, you know, I'd play with her. And then Sesame Street came up and she said, I, I'm going to do an acoustic version of Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star on the Elmo's Late Night Show. Oh, <laughs> and so Chaska and I, Chaska's from Raining Jane, and we got to go and, and play Sesame Street. And it was, I mean, it's bucket list, right? Just to even be there, I feel like it's great, but you performed on it. And you performed, didn't Big Bird like sing too? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely a duet with Varelis and Big Bird. And <laughs> Oh my God, but what was the day like? Because everyone kind of wants to know what I do, what, yeah. what it was like behind the scenes of Sesame Street. First of all, every single person that works at Sesame Street is the best human you've ever met. 
Oh like you God. walk in the halls and everyone's, I don't, you can't believe it. It's sort of like fantasy land. Everyone's like, hi, how are you? How can we help you? What do you need? It's like, everyone's a giant hug. It's perfect in that way. And everybody who's there wants to be there and loves their job. So it's like communicated, right? In the way they treat you and the way that they hold, hold your experience. No, it was an incredible experience. And we just, you know, we did it like maybe two or three times. And, and Sarah's just like, you know, if you're a fan of Sarah's, you know, she's the best. Like, like she's such a wonderful performer and she just handles. She was wearing like a red velvet suit. Like, get out of here. She killed it. <laughs> All right, Mona. I just have to say as a drummer, I feel like anytime I've traveled with my cajon, like in the airports or even just like walking down the street in New York City, people will always be like, what's in the box? What you yeah. got? Is that a box? What's the box for? Are you so used to that at this point? And do you have a good response anymore? Because I don't know what to say anymore. Like, I don't know if I should like have a rabbit that I pull out and like make it seem <laughs> like there's like some magic trick involved. But like, what do you do <laughs> when I was younger I used to be a lot more sassy and maybe inappropriate <laughs> What's in your book? I started empowering young girls to feel good about themselves I stopped with the box comedy <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> there's so much good material right yeah. that's so why I was material. like really wanted to know at least like one or two good ones you got yeah you know I'm, I'm I just I gotta think out of the box here I <laughs> well that was terrible <laughs> you're so nice you're laughing no I really that wasn't a pity laugh. That was like, you're oh, quick. Good. You okay. know? All right. <laughs> I was like surprised it came out that quick. I was oh, very impressed. Gosh. Now we are going to move into our last segment, which is we have a little quiz. Ooh. Yes. Don't worry. It's right. not difficult. Uh, I will, I'll start it off. The not so hard questions. Question number one. Yeah. Dogs or cats? <laughs> Dogs. Woo! Yeah. All right, cool. We can stop there. We're friends. We're good. <laughs> that was the correct That's answer. <laughs> correct answer. That's it. We're ending it there. <laughs> We've lost a lot of cat listeners since we started this quiz. Listen, but I got to tell you the truth. I grew up in a house that did not have pets. Oh, uh, okay. For me, I would say bird. Oh, bird. Okay. When I was a child, we had a bird and her name was Rosie the Cockatiel. My sister has a dog and I feel like as an aunt of a dog, I feel like, you, feel like you gotta go with the dog. Ability. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Question number two, whiskey or vodka? Uh, vodka. Oh, vodka girl. Yeah. Well, that's Jess and I'm whiskey. So I'm actually, gosh, you guys, I'm going to tell you there's a third option here and it's tequila. So that's the thing. We yeah. say whiskey or vodka because currently that's what both of us drink constantly. A lot of our guests are always like, what about tequila? I think we need to add that into the mix. I think you should. Yeah. So mezcal specifically, mezcal. Is I was just going to ask. So you like the mezcal, the smoky tequila. Yeah, which I didn't before. I think during quarantine, everything's upside down. So I'm like, yeah, great. Give me some uh, garbage water. <laughs> Mezcal then for Mona. I love it. Yes. Love it. Now that we know that we'll, we'll do a wine and cheese night, maybe a little bit of mezcal. I love it. Question number three, beach or snow? Oh, God. I don't, I honestly, I need the third, the, the park. I want to go to the, <laughs> the park. Because <laughs> they're both kind of, they're probably both technically annoying, Beach or Snow, but, oh, but I actually love both. But. I like them both, but I I think I'd go to the park. Okay. okay. Well, that's, a, that's another one. We'll think, okay, now we know we need to add third to whiskey, vodka, tequila, beach, snow, or park. Okay. We're changing our questions. All right. Next question. Headline or opener? Headline. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like the idea of the big vision. Mind you, if I got an opening gig for anything right now, I'd be so delighted and excited. I love the idea of like introducing yourself to a new audience. Also, it's like so low pressure and you just get to like, yeah, headliner is like a lot of responsibility, but I love the idea of like big vision, sharing a big vision with people. Yeah. Yeah. 
The last question for you. What is on your rider or what do you like to put on the rider? Oh, always avocados. Yes. Oh, that's a good one. I'll tell you like old school raining Jane riders. We used to ask for Polaroid film and bring oh. our Polaroid camera and shoot Polaroids during. But anyway, uh, so we would ask for Polaroid film and whenever like somebody could get it, we'd be like, yeah, but like, gosh, I love a snack. I love a sparkling water. I'll tell you yeah, that honestly. But like chips, avocados, definitely like peanut butter and some delicious bread. For and sure. When we figured out when Raining Jane we started doing all those tours, we started adding stuff that was like optional. And we'd be like, if there's a local treat that you can procure, we'd love it, you know? So oh, that's a great. good idea. A local thing. A local treat. Yeah. That's like incredible. I think the only time I did that was and it involved booze. It was like if you have like a local <laughs> Beer, beer or yeah. something That's that you true. you love, like let us try it. You know, yes, yes. Okay, and then if you could have anything, like if you were Beyonce and could get whatever you want, a massage, like a, a personal massage, like is there uh-huh. something you think you'd ask for specifically? I like the massage idea, like <laughs> or maybe like a tootsie rub pre and post. Ooh. I feel like what a, a hot tub would be great. Whoa, that's a good one. That's a good Come one. On. Like a little hot tub. I, see, the reason we ask this is because all I'm doing is I'm taking everyone's ideas and adding them to mine. So then I what's going to happen that. is no one's ever going to want to book me ever again because they're like, this girl asked for fucking foot massages, a jacuzzi, a personal masseuse, fucking puppies. She wants puppies in the dressing room before oh, yeah. she shows up because I definitely have asked for that. When I was in my band, I did it as a joke yeah. and I was like, I was like, let's just put puppies. And you know what would happen? They'd bring puppies because like someone that worked at the venue you would be like, well, yeah, I've got a dog. I'll just bring him while they're loading in. So they'd bring the dog. I get to play with dogs. I love your life. Congratulations. <laughs> Amazing. Well, Mona, thank you so, so, so much for doing this. This was such a pleasure talking to you. It's so great hearing all your stories. And for everyone who is listening that wants to keep up with you and all the amazing things you're up to, do you want to give us like your social media handles, maybe Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and even for for the Rock Camp LA stuff? Yes. Yes. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Loved meeting you both and best of luck getting through this weird time. And it sounds like you're doing great stuff. You can find Rock Camp at Rock Camp LA on Insta. You can find me at Mona underscore Tavacoli. And that's T-A-V-A-K-O-L-I. And the O of the Mona is a pizza slice. So you'll know you're on the right track. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and, and yeah, just my Twitter is Mona underscore Tavacoli. And I think my Facebook is like Mona Tavacoli drummer. Yeah. All right. Well, we're definitely, we're going to tag you and everything as well. So people that listen to our podcast can find you. But we're so thankful that you did this. Thank you so much. Best of luck to you and everything that you have coming up. See you for cheese night. Oh, hell yeah. Thanks so much. Bye, y'all. Hey Jess, I just want to thank our amazing Patreon supporters. We have some amazing people who have subscribed to our Patreon account and it really helps us with producing this show and getting everything up and running. We really appreciate the support and we just wanted to thank everyone for being a subscriber. Yes, thank you all so, so much. It really is helpful. You know, we love doing this, but it really helps us kind of be able to get it done. And, you know, if you become a patron, you will get some early access to the podcast 
chats. You'll get video content, some other content like Q&As that we do. We just do some fun stuff to try and give back. Just definitely subscribe. And we're just so thankful. So thank you guys so much. Yeah. And the web address, if you want to visit our Patreon, is P-A-T-R-E-O-N. That's right. Patreon.com forward slash babes behind the beats. So visit us there. And uh, we really appreciate your support. And we can't wait to see you over there. Yeah.